Thank you to Lori, who is filling in or giving Greg a run for his money, however you decide to look at it. Uh, while Greg is out of town doing WNL stuff, I guess that's a way of saying that. Uh, so thank you, Lori. That's uh, beautiful. And I know God will take care of you. will be whistling in my head this week. So thank you for that. Uh, so if you can grab a Bible from there in your pew and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 21. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It's very easy to find. Um, so uh, as I finished my years in divinity school, Renella and I began to talk and to pray about moving to Romania as missionaries, her hometown of Bucharest, Romania, where she grew up to serve as missionaries. And uh, we had been married for uh, three years uh, by the time I graduated school. And uh, I knew, you know, we were talking about moving there for two, maybe three years. And so uh, moving to Romania sounded very exciting, you know, doing this overseas mission work type stuff. And all of that sounded good, but I had some uh, reservations about all of that as well. Um, because I was doing the math and we had been married for three years. We were going to be there for another three years. I knew that wife of mine was going to start insisting that we have a baby while we were over there in Romania. And uh, I, uh, I had, we had gone, we had visited Romania once upon a time and, and I had been in a Romanian hospital while I was there. And uh, to me, in my own subjective, this one experience, it felt like a war zone. Okay, like the lights were flickering and there was all this kind of stuff. And we, we actually went to visit a, a friend who had just had a baby and there were uh, buckets of water under each leg of the bed and the buckets of the water were there so that the cockroaches couldn't crawl onto the bed for, you know, get the patient. And if that was your experience of a Romanian hospital, would you want your wife to have, give birth to your baby in that kind of place? So that's kind of, you know, a reservation I was, I was thinking. So, lo and behold, we did move to Romania. Lo and behold, Renella did get pregnant. And lo and behold, Renella did tell me one day, Skylar, it's time. And so I called the hospital. And uh, it, we, it, we, we, it was a private hospital. Okay, So it was much nicer. It was actually much nicer than most American hospitals that I've experienced. And uh, the ambulance came and they picked us up. We, we rode the elevator eight floors down and uh, got in the ambulance and careened through this very trafficy, dense city uh, in Europe. And we got to the hospital, but they could not get a hold of our doctor. They could not find our doctor. And so uh, they pulled us into the room and they got all their gadgets and gadgets and gizmos. And uh, this doctor says to us, uh, you know, we think your baby is facing up instead of down. No. Sunny side up. Okay, I didn't know if that was just like what we said or if that's like an actual thing to say. The baby was sunny side up. And uh, she said, she said uh, you know, the, the, heart, the heartbeat is, is, is very low. And so we're, we're concerned that the umbilical cord is wrapped around her neck and her life is in danger. And so what we want to do is give Renella a C-section. Uh, in order to ensure that, that this baby is safe and that uh, your wife is safe. And we said, no, we're not doing that. We're not going to do a C-section. And the doctor said, you know, the one with all the degrees said, no, we really need to do this in order to keep everybody 
safe. And we said, no, we're not going to do that. Well, they went ahead and prepared the operating theater anyway. I mean, they had everything ready to go. They had the staff on standby for that. And so, uh, you know, I'm sitting there and uh, you have to kind of put yourself in my shoes and, and consider that at the end of the day, you might walk out of that hospital with a beautiful new baby and a wife and just everything be so great. Or there's this chance that you could walk out of that hospital at the end of the day and one of those people is missing from that picture because you thought you knew better than the medical experts. So that's a, that was a tough seat to sit in that day. And I, I had to put my big boy pants on, you know, um, for the first time in a really serious way. Well, Rennell and I were very torn about this, and every second that ticked on that clock, that baby was one second closer to coming, whether we made the right decision or not. And it was getting closer and closer and closer. Well, at the last final second, our doctor rushed into the room. He appeared from the sky, and he looked at Ranella and he did all of his things, and he said, look, I, I think that you're, you're picking up the heart rate of the mother, not the baby. I think this baby's just fine. And uh, Ranella gave birth to that baby, and everything was fine. This is the story of Charlie, by the way, this, you know, the one who rang the bell this morning. So she can at least do that. So I did not think that Romania had what it took to bring my daughter into this world. And the, do the doctors did not think that my wife's body had what it took to bring our daughter into this world. But all of us were wrong. Except for Ronella. She was right. It's the only time that's ever happened. So I want to take a moment to speak to whoever is in this room this morning, raising kids in this world, in this, sitting in this room, or maybe you're thinking about, or you're about to have, uh, about to bring somebody into this world. Um, I want to speak to you if you're a grandparent, okay, you're in that wonderful stage, or you're a coach or a teacher or anyone who's involved in this whole thing of bringing up the next generation. This Romanian story okay, about mindsets, this story about the mindset that Romania doesn't have enough, this story about the mindset that, that this uh, female body does not have enough, the story that there isn't enough, there just isn't enough for this child to bring this child into this world safe and whole, I think it's a story for you as well. And I know that the world is a scary place, okay? I know that the news can be pretty bad and it just doesn't seem like things could possibly be safe sometimes. And every time you look at the dollars and cents, maybe it just doesn't seem like it could possibly add up right. And maybe you just don't feel like you have what you need to rise to the occasion. And it just doesn't seem like enough and, uh, for, for these kids in this crazy world we live in. But this Romanian story is also your story. And it's not a new story. Okay? Not by a long shot. So I want to go back to the beginning of things and read to you this story from the book of Genesis chapter 21. And it begins in verse 8. And this is, this is what it says. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, okay, Abraham held a great feast. This is what you do when a kid is about two or three years old. 
Uh, but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. You will recall that Hagar was Abraham's concubine, whatever you want to call it, and had, they had had uh, Ishmael together. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. You will recall the firstborn son is the one who gets all the stuff, right? So now Sarah wants that firstborn son gone. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son, his beloved first son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went, her, she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. She went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift up the boy and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. Thanks be to God for that very good word. So Sarah wants Ishmael gone and, and Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael packing into the desert. That's the story Set up. But here's the scene that really matters for you this morning. I want you to kind of lean forward in your chair a little bit this morning and hear this scene from Genesis. Okay, listen to this. Two days ago, they dropped the final drop of water on Ishmael's tongue. All of their food is eaten up. Ishmael got sick four days ago before they even ran out of water. And now he's lost so many fluids that he's done. It's a hundred degrees outside. The insects are attacking him and he's done. Hagar and her one and only child had lost a stable family situation, a secure life with a rich man in a really, really unfair way. And now she was going to lose the most important thing in her life, the most precious thing in her entire life. Ishmael has completely lost connection to reality. He's, he's delusional right now. And uh, he's dying. And Hagar cannot bear to watch her son suffer like this. So she lays him down underneath this scrappy little acacia tree. Maybe he's a little bit more comfortable under there. And she backs away from him, okay, about a bow shot away. And she sits down and just weeks of pent up grief and terror and rage just come out like a flood in the desert, and she just lets it go. 
And Hagar gives up believing that there's enough for her child. So how does God show up? When you've lost your entire support system, when there's no possible way that you can make all of these ends meet, when you see no possible future for your child, when the talking heads on TV demonstrate to you with lots of numbers and graphs and charts that the future of your world, your children's world, is totally lost. Okay? When you've been discarded by debt or a divorce or job loss and you can't see any goodness within yourself, how could you possibly have what it takes to carry your kid through the desert? When you're standing in the desert with no water, no options, you're watching your only thing, your most precious thing, struggle, suffer. And it's like you can't provide the thing that you know that your child needs. How does God show up then? If you're Hagar, you probably are in a space where God showing up is the absolute last thing that you would ever expect. You would probably, if you're Hagar, you would probably expect, uh, you know, a unicorn to come riding on the backseat of a rainbow with a truckload of ice cream cones and cold Coca Colas before you would expect God to show up. I mean, think about Hagar's story. She was enslaved. She was a slave. Where was God when she was enslaved? And where was God when uh, she was pushed out into the desert so unfairly after she had done everything right? Where was God then? Hagar inhabits a moment where she doesn't have enough. Her environment, her world doesn't have enough. And it feels like God has abandoned her and her son. But the good news of the story is that God does show up. And God doesn't do anything miraculous here. God doesn't part the waters of the sea. He doesn't strike a rock, a dry rock, and let water come gushing out. No manna falls from the sky. But there are two things that God does for Hagar, okay? For Ishmael in the desert. And I think that God does this for you and for me as well. And we're trying to raise the next generation. This is the good news, and I want, I want you to hold on to this today, and I really want you to remember this. God speaks a word of hope. And He shows you the abundance right in front of you. God speaks a word of hope and He shows you the abundance right in front of you. If you look at the page of Scripture in front of you where it says that God speaks a word of hope, God called to Hagar from heaven and He said to her, what's the matter? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Do not be afraid. God sees everything that is happening. God sees everything that's happening to your kids, to the children, to the schools in the world. Don't give up on them. Don't lay them down to die. 
pick them up, hold their hand, love them with everything that you have. God will take care of them. God speaks a word of hope. And then it says this, Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Notice that the well was ostensibly there the whole time. God didn't create the well. Nothing about Hagar's circumstances actually change. Hagar's circumstances don't actually change. She just finally sees the thing that ostensibly was there the whole time. She just didn't see it. And that is a very important point. You might be thinking that if there isn't some sort of miracle, if God doesn't change your circumstances, you couldn't possibly have enough. If God doesn't radically alter the situation of the world, the next generation couldn't possibly have enough. But the miracle of the story is that you have everything you need right in front of you. Even if you are in a desert, you may not see it or feel it, but you have everything you need to carry the next generation through. Everything you need is right in front of you. You just have to open your eyes and choose to see it. And then, what's the next line in the story? God was with the boy as he grew up. God is with you. God is with your kids. God is with the next generation. So you cannot give up. You cannot wag your head and cross your arms and shrug your shoulders and say, oh well, there won't be enough. You cannot tell yourself that you don't have what it takes. God was faithful to your generation and God will be faithful to the next generation. And so you have to make a choice. Are you going to trust that? Will you trust in God's faithfulness for your kids, for the next generation? The despair of Hagar takes shape in, in a lot of different ways in your life. But God's faithfulness always looks the same. God speaks a word of hope to you. And He shows you the abundance right in front of you. So here's how the despair of Hagar might look in your life today. First, there's a couple ways. First, I think you despair when you believe this world will not have enough for the next generation. Everyone picks their favorite uh, poison. On, everyone gets to pick their favorite poison on this one, okay? So, in your professional opinion, why do you think the world is going to hell in a handbasket? So, uh, maybe you think it's because no one respects authority anymore, all right? And maybe you think it's because nobody wants to work anymore. And maybe you think it's because uh, uh, global warming is going to destroy everything. And maybe you think it's because uh, democracy is, is falling apart. And maybe you think it's because the family unit is breaking down. Everyone these days has their own well-earned, professional, uh, highly scientific 
uh, qualitatively analytical, unbiased opinion, uh, 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 which they got from YouTube or cable news, as to why the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And that my kids, my eight-year-old daughter, my five-year-old son, are going to inherit a terrible, terrible place. Because this world will not have enough whatever for them. You despair because you believe this world will not have enough for the next generation. Hagar stood in the desert and she despaired that there was no way her world, her environment, could provide enough for her son, for the next generation. But the truth is, she just didn't see the water, the deep well piercing the earth right in front of her. She couldn't see, maybe she refused to see the very thing that was right in front of her, right next to her son. She was so convinced was doomed to die. But God spoke a word of hope to her and He opened her eyes to see the abundance right in front of her. And God speaks a word of hope to you and He wants to show you the abundance in front of you. So in your cynical despair, will you choose to trust God to provide for the next generation? And then there's this. You despair when you believe the next generation does not possess enough within themselves. So I want to pull up this great thing, this great work. Uh, you can put it up on the screen. Uh, these are actual fact check. You probably can't read it; it's too far away. Actual fact checked newspaper newspaper clippings from American history. Nobody wants it's, it's nobody wants to work anymore in the headlines of the newspaper uh, from ev like almost every decade uh, in American you know since the late 1800s. You can see up there in 1894 at the very bottom a headline in the newspaper. Uh, nobody wants to work these hard times. In 1952, there's a headline right there. In 1952, the good old days when everything was supposedly perfect and everyone was working so hard. Nobody wants to work anymore. 1952. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes that there is nothing new under the sun. And we have refused to believe those words ever since they were penned. People have been complaining about these days, this generation, these young people, they're different. They're different than when I was coming up. That's like not a new phenomenon. <laughs> I don't care how old you are, your grandparents were making, saying the same stuff. It's in our DNA. It's in the human condition that this younger generation is weak. They don't have what it takes to endure the desert. Hagar stood in the desert, bow shot away, and she gave up on her son. She despaired that her son had what it took to, to survive the desert heat. But God speaks a word of hope and shows her the abundance that's right in front of her. God says, go pick up your son. Take him by the hand. Hold his hand. God will be faithful to him. God has put strength and resilience and gifts inside of Him. And God does that for every generation. And you're so worried that they cannot handle it. You're so worried that they are going to fail or that the dragons and the bad guys are sure to get them. But God speaks a word of hope and shows you the abundance right in front of you. And then finally, there's this. 
Here's the last one. You despair when you believe that you do not possess enough within yourself to care for the next generation. Debt, divorce, college dropout, mistakes, depression, anxiety, financial strain. You look in the mirror and you say, I have messed up so bad. I've, I've messed things up for these kids. It's hard to be a parent. It's hard to be a grandparent. It's hard to be teacher, coach, whatever it is. It's so easy to see all of the sand within yourself and not see the deep wells that you have to provide. It's so hard to see all the ways that you've messed up. All the ways that you've snapped at the kids or whatever it is. But God says to this castaway, slave, female, Hagar in the desert when everything has been lost. And God says this to you in the lowest moments when you just yelled at the kids or whatever it was. Just told them you couldn't afford to pay for the thing that they want so badly. God says, look, everything you need I've already given to you. You have everything you need right in front of you. No matter what your past is, no matter what kind of vultures are circling over your head, no matter how little resources it feels like you have, God speaks a word of hope and shows you the abundance right in front of you. See past the sand and look at the deep wells. My friends, God has been faithful to your generation and God will be faithful to the next one. I want you to trust that. I want you to stop believing that God was so good and so faithful to your generation, but tough luck for the next one. I think that the story of Hagar restores radical optimism and stubborn hope in our children and in the next generation, the ones we're handing the baton off to. So in your own complicated, flawed family, I hope that Hagar's story uh, restores that hope to you about the providence of God and the faithfulness of God because God has been and will be faithful. And here's what I want you to put into practice this week. Okay, Here's just one thing that you can do with this great, great story in the Bible. Just this one single solitary thing. That's this. Focus on the wells that God has provided for the next generation. That's what I want you to do this week. Focus on the wells. The broken, sinful human condition is to always focus on the negative, to always really be on high alert on the negative, to, to worry, to be anxious, to see the worst in people and dwell on it, to see the sand and refuse to see the wells. God speaks a word of hope right in that. And so I want you to be that person this week. When everyone around you is complaining, you be the one who focuses on the wells. See the strength of these kids. See the strengths of these teenagers, these college students, these young adults, these young parents. Be the one who sees the well. Let's go to a time of prayer, my friends. Loving and generous and faithful, God, age to age. 
The God who has been faithful for generations before us and will be faithful for generations to come. We fix our eyes on You today. We take our eyes off of the negative, the anxious, the frantic, the frenetic, and we fix our eyes on You and Your goodness and we, we trust You, Lord, and we rest in You. And God, we pray that we will be the carriers of Your peace in this world. A peace that is magnetic and that the people around us will surely desire and ask about. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, the good news of the Gospel is that in Jesus, the Kingdom of Heaven is available to you and to the whole world. The Bible says that if you will confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I invite you, if you have never made a profession of faith followed by baptism, to confess that Jesus is the Lord and Savior and Teacher of your life and believe that God raised Him from the dead. I'll be down front to receive you as we stand and sing together.